Welcome back to Call Time with Katie Bierenbaum. My apologies for the little break I took in there. I was busy, you know, with midterms, getting back to math. Not sure if anyone remembers math. Anyway, I'm on the other side and I live to tell the tale. And I was especially able to do so because I'm so excited about my guest. I think it's the perfect guest this week to get us back into high gear. I think you're going to be freaking out, pausing the pod, calling your friends. She's someone I've been wanting to have on the show for months. You know her, you love her from Girls 5 Eva, and of course, iconically as Katie Heron in the musical version of Mean Girls on Broadway, the wonderful Erica Henningsen. Welcome. I'm so excited to have Erica Henningsen on the show. I'm going to do a little, I, I sort of scratched the surface of your bio there, but I wanted to make sure the listeners know just how impressive you are beyond the obvious name recognition of Mean Girls, so I'm going to brag about you for a bit. Erica was born and grew up in Northern California, then she went to get a BFA in musical theater from the University of Michigan, a beloved institution on the pod. I went to Impulse there. I've had Chelsea Groen and Ryan Vasquez on the show, classmates of Erica's. After graduating, she moved to New York, where she starred in the New York Philharmonic stage concert of Showboat. The new musical Diner based on the movie, which is one of my my and my mom's favorite movies, so I'm sure we'll discuss. And then she made her Broadway debut in Les Mis. In fact, Erica was the youngest Broadway fontine to date. Following that, Erica originated the role of Katie Heron in Mean Girls, the musical first at the National Theater in D.C. and then on Broadway, where she performed for nearly two years. And between her dulcet voice, her high power belt, and authentic good nature without seeming treacly, and I say this from experience, I had the pleasure of seeing her do the role in 2019. She took Broadway by storm. She was a huge fan favorite. She was even nominated for an Outer Critics Circle Award. And since then, Erica starred in Girls 5 Eva on Peacock, which is another crossover with the great Tina Fey, which I'm sure we'll discuss. And the last thing I want to mention, which is another big reason I wanted to have Erica on the show, is that as her star has risen, she's always been deeply committed to philanthropy and political action. We connected last fall doing phone banking sessions with Knock for Democracy, and she's personally spearheaded projects like the African Library Project, which raised money to create a library for St. Catherine's School in Magoria, Kenya, and collaborated with She's the First during the pandemic, a nonprofit devoted to providing better access to education for young women and girls. And because I've known Erica or known of Erica for a long time, I know that these efforts are super authentic and as much a part of her as, you know, belting into the stratosphere. So I love that. Is there anything major I'm missing? No, full points. Well, great. Yes. I, I want to start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. I ask almost yes. everyone who comes on the show this question. I'm sure you get asked this a lot too. From your childhood, is there a sort of light bulb aha moment that you can think of seeing a piece of theater or doing a piece of theater where you were like, oh, that's it. That's what I want to do. I think like, I mean, I always, I always liked watching theater. My first Broadway show was 42nd Street and that was really magical. But what's funny is I, I'm not a tap dancer. I was not interested in dancing but that was just the first time I saw something that was like you'd be a great non-dancing Peggy Sawyer a non-dancing Peggy Sawyer <laughs> just, maybe I would just like move my feet really fast and they could just like play the sounds of tap a dance double <laughs> that would be the concept like your double would exactly. come on and dance 
Love exactly. it. Exactly. Somebody will do a version of that downtown one day. But the time where like the light bulb went off was I think just like my first scene class that my mom put me in just for an extracurricular because I I wasn't like excelling at sports. My family's super athletic. We played a lot of sports growing up and I liked them fine. Like I didn't complain about it, but it was just very clear that that was not going to be my calling. And so my mom put me in voice lessons and then a youth scene class where we had to do a monologue and a scene. And the first time I did a monologue for an audience was kind of the moment where I was like, oh my gosh, this is every, (laughs) in a terrible way. When you're the youngest of three siblings, it's rare to get full attention. So obviously I think I did enjoy that, but it was also just getting to make people laugh and being sort of the person who created that and I always loved the thing that I remember clicking in my head was that I liked sports because I liked being part of a team but I didn't like competing and showing up to those scene study classes week after week felt like being on a team but there was no pressure of losing which I was not you know I I didn't do well with that pressure when I was playing sports. (laughs) Which is so interesting because I feel like people think of theater and acting as being the most competitive thing out there, maybe besides professional sports. Yes, exactly. And it is, and that's, it's a weird thing that in my head as a kid, and I think it's the only reason I do this because like we get rejected all the time and obviously it stings, but I'm still throwing myself willingly into that pool of rejection because it feels like the only person that I'm letting down I, like, I, I hated letting people down on sports teams. I, I did not like that pressure to perform under the wire. And yes, we do have to do that in theater, but it's something that is, I don't know. It, it doesn't feel as technical almost where you can point to be like, that's the reason we lost. <laughs> in a theater right. show, it's just like all these moving parts are moving towards the same goal and you might have a bad show, you might have a good show. It doesn't really matter. We're still going to get to the same finish line every night, which there was something like oddly comforting in that for me. And I liked still being part of the organization of a group unit. Youngest of three siblings and no one else is in entertainment. Nobody else is in entertainment. No. (laughs) I'm the, I mean, I'm an only child, but my family is not at all in entertainment. So they're always like, what? Is, is your family like that or do you think that they're now like they're on board obviously but they they get more things now yeah it's funny I think they're on board now they definitely understand that what I do is a, I think that's a, the biggest thing for young people to hurdle is for parents siblings aunts uncles cousins to understand that what we do is a business even though to the eye like my schedule does not involve getting up every day and going to a desk it doesn't even involve getting paid every week it involves doing a lot of work i don't get paid for and and don't book but they it's funny my mom has said she still gets nervous when she sees me perform because she is aware that like that bone is not in her, that bone that's like showtime, gotta like go and do it no matter what, which is what I always tell her. I was like, you don't need to be nervous because like I've decided to do this and there's no other option. Like I might be nervous in the wings, but like I'm at the theater. The only right. option is- There's no like leaving. Yeah. <laughs> there's no turning back. Exactly. Like you can't walk off the diving board at that point, which is what I, I think they fully understand how it is my profession, but I think the actual mental 
I don't want to say bravery, but like mental game you have to do to do it. I think that is something they can't conceive of. Yeah, it's very, it's very difficult and like a definitely an, a different, it's a different muscle than I think most yes. other jobs and careers use, even though I think it's translatable to lots of other things. And yeah, so exactly. you started doing this, they put you in this and they were on board Mm-hmm. And then how did Michigan happen? Like, I'm so aware of the competition for all of that now, which I think has right. gotten more intense in recent right. years. But how did you come there? How did you find it? Totally. Because we, cause we, we're not – I don't think I was aware. I mean, gosh, I admire these high schoolers who apply to theater schools right now because I just think, like, it, it's turned into such – a pre-professional program. They are pre-professional training programs, but the way that you are asked to audition and apply is honestly, I think, more complicated than auditioning for a Broadway show. So I, I say that if you can apply and audition for musical theater programs, you can audition for a Broadway show. It's much easier. I, I truly believe that. I think for me, I had actually just sort of a mentor. It was an older girl who was in that first scene study class with me who I just grew up doing community theater with. She was two years older, two years older. And I don't know how she found Michigan, but she went to a summer camp. She went to Interlochen, which- That's where I went. You went to Interlochen, okay. And it's in Michigan, right? Yeah, it's like, it's not related, but it makes sense that she would have gone there and then heard about it. And heard about it. I think that's what happened. And she went, and while she was there, she emailed me just saying, you know, if you're serious about doing this, I think you would really like this school. So I really have her to thank because when she said that, I applied for their summer program, Pulse, which you also did. And that was when I was kind of like, that summer program is what convinced me that I, A, wanted to study it in school because all I was doing all day was singing, acting, acting and dancing at this summer camp and I loved it. And then because I was familiar with it and I knew I loved it, it became my my number one choice. And... I, there were a couple other schools I was really interested in. I was going to go to Boston College if I didn't get into U of M because I knew I wanted to be on a big campus. I didn't apply to like the conservatory schools because I just couldn't see myself there, which is always my advice to people. I feel like I feel like I knew myself sometimes in a way when I was 18 years old <laughs> before all this other craziness of the world came in because I just thought I'm not going to be happy anywhere else besides a big college program. So I didn't apply to any, even though a lot of those conservatories programs were fancy and had wonderful training. I just didn't want to go Yeah, there. Mm-hmm. And did you love Michigan? I did. You know, I, I, I say this so honestly, I loved it every single day I was there. Every single day I was there, I absolutely wow. loved it. I really did. In hindsight, I think it is – a problematic program the way any program is problematic. You don't know what you're not getting until you're leaving. And so at the time, I was just, I really loved it. I have nothing negative to say about my time there as I was existing. In hindsight, I think it put a lot of emphasis on executing as opposed to creating. Mm. And I think there were teachers and places to find that type of training, but you really had to seek it out or you had to have a teacher kind of look at you and say, you know, 
the way you create and perform and tell stories is not going to be as by the book as a four-year training program. So let's, let's figure it out together. And I am nothing if not a student. So I was very by the book. So because of that, the program worked really well for me because it, it taught me in the way that I liked to learn at that point, but that's almost the problem. It's like, you want to be challenged in the way you learn. And I, the reason I liked that school is because it taught me in the style that I like to be educated. And that didn't always push me out of my comfort zone or cause me to think in, in new ways, uh, if that makes sense. So, and I feel like that got me about, I've been in New York eight years. I feel like it got me four years through New York. And then these last four years, I feel like I've had to really recalibrate, like, how can I keep using my training, but how do I build upon it? Because those four years are not going to be enough anymore. Wow. So walk me through that. Where where do you see as like that dividing point between the 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 halves of your New York experience? Yeah. I think I mean maybe it's almost 6 I, Okay, so I moved in 2014, it's 2021. So it's been 7 years. I would say about a year and a half into Mean Girls is when I was like, oh, okay, I've scraped the bottom of the well of what I was taught and how I was educated to do this. Mm. And then I kind of realized there's a lot more and I was not given the tools to get that far because I was only there for four years and they were just, your education is never done. But I did realize about a year and a half into Mean Girls that I was like, I have to figure out how to keep existing as an artist, doing eight shows a week, doing this show, now that executing it is no longer a challenge, if that makes sense. Like at a certain point, that became such muscle. It was like putting on a second skin. It was so easy. And that was almost when I realized, well, this is the problem. Like when it gets easy is when you're not growing. And so that was that was interesting. And going back into auditions after, you know, I didn't audition for about two years while I was working on Mean Girls and going back into auditions, I felt myself doing things where I was like, this no longer serves me. I, if I just keep doing the same thing over and over, nobody's going to want to see me do anything else. And that was, that was realization about halfway through Mean Girls too. That's so, well, first of all, it's so impressive that you are self-aware enough to have, and, and sort of self-motivated enough to have mm-hmm. made that discovery about yourself. And that's, I think, another really difficult thing about being an actor because it's not like we have, you know, a supervisor who has done exactly what we've done and can say like, okay, I've noticed this about your work and you have to yeah. improve in XYZ ways and this is how you're going to move forward in your career. And so it really takes self-awareness that is difficult to get and have to move forward. And so I find that to be really impressive. And I'm sure it was a gradual process. I'm sure one day you didn't just sit down and say like, I need more. Totally. Definitely gradual. A lot of like failing forward and trying to do the thing that I, you know, trying to do the thing that I always did and being like, that's not impressive anymore. Or that's not fulfilling anymore. You know, it's not, not just about what it is to the person watching it, but do I even feel motivated by it? And the answer Mm. was no, because it just became kind of, I don't know if rudimentary is the right word, but it became so natural for me to perform a certain way that I thought I have to push myself further. I'm just going to only do this for the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to be clear, the, the, 
the thing you were always doing was incredibly impressive and amazing. And that's why you booked all these roles. But I, I totally get what you're saying. I want to I wanna go back, mm-hmm. jump around a bit. You booked Les Mis not long after you graduated college. Mm-hmm. What was that like? What was your like transition into New York like? And given that it was so quick, did you ever – did you have any imposter s- syndrome struggles at first or were you just sort of like, I'm Fontaine, I'm going forward with this? Oh, God. I mean, like the folly of youth is so beautiful. I wish I could go back and watch myself as Fontaine because I definitely had nerves, but I think because I was so young and had not experienced severe rejection yet, I was like, of course I'm Fontaine. Like I didn't understand the lineage of women that I was, like I knew obviously who they were because I'd grown up listening to them and then YouTubing them in college. But like, I don't think I understood how big of a deal it was. It was just like, and I'm almost grateful for that because I think if I had, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Like the blind confidence and we see it, you know, we've been in the city for, you know, a couple of years now and you see it with the people who move here. And there's like this freshness and this trust and faith in themselves that is like so beautiful. And my only goal in life is to hold on to that for as long as possible. Obviously it's going to like mature and change. But when I booked Fontaine, it was at its like purest, most crystalline form, which is just like, yeah, if you say I can do this, I can do this. And I learned a lot from that because I think in in a way there was maybe, you know, I, I don't think anybody would say I was like a, a disrespectful person, but I, I do think that there was a lack of reverence that I had for what I was getting to do. I highly doubt that, but Okay. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's like, I don't think anybody would say that. Like it didn't probably come, like, obviously I was very professional and I was like fine to work with, but I think there's a part of me that like, I didn't give myself those moments to be like, you are so lucky. And we don't have to feel that way every time we show up to a theater, but the, the privilege that that show was, I think was a little lost on me because I was so young, but I, know for a fact that that is the reason I got to do it because I was just like heart forward, no fear, no barriers, which is what my Fontaine looked like. Like she was way more like light beaming as opposed to like a shrouded cloud. Um, Well, you were the youngest to date, which I think (laughs) contributes to that. And I wish I had seen it. And I know that you had also played, I think I'm sure this is also connected. You had played the role in college. So I'm sure you were like, I got this down. Now I'm good. I did it. <laughs> yeah, it's like college Broadway. It's all the same, right? <laughs> I mean, Michigan. Then we'll get into it, but it really like I I do think that I do think getting to play it in college is why I just walked in with like a little bit of confidence because I just like I knew the song. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, it was in your body. Yeah. It was in my body and I had the director who cast me in that production. He ended up not being able to direct it because he went back to go do a Broadway show. But it was Alex Gemignani who was like... Oh, I love him. Fun fact, his wife, Erin Ortman, whom I adore, directed me in my first community theater shows when I was like 10 in You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. That is amazing. They're such good, like, They're such amazing people. people. I love Erin. She was, like, the first – this is so weird, but she's the first person I remember knowing who was vegan. 
and being like 10 and being like, what? <laughs> she's very cool. Honestly, I that's like, that's such a 10 year old thing to clock to be like, that is a choice you made. Like, yeah, no, I was like, am I going to be vegan when I'm 30? <laughs> and I want to be just like you, so I guess so. I guess so. There's still time. What, because you did it in both of these contexts, what is special to you about the role of Fontaine in particular? Ooh, I've talked about Lemus so much, but nobody's ever asked me that question. That's so sweet. I love to be unique. I love, yeah, we always talk about like, you know, it, and it's a thing that's interesting, but it's like, what about literally just that woman is exciting? I'm going, I think, I mean, I think there's many things, but I think the thing that I loved the most about the character is that till the very end, she is holding on to hope. Like, till, tell Cosette I love her and I'll see her when I wake. Like, she thinks she's going to wake up. Like, and that's the thing that I feel like we always miss with Fontaine where it's like, I don't know, no offense to Anne Hathaway, but like that whole... She's listening. <laughs> she's listening. And yeah. it's for you. But Annie. I remember seeing that movie and being like, God, she's broken as soon as we meet her. And yes, yes, the situation is disastrous, but like she was so feeble and already so meek that I was like, I see exactly where you're going to end up. Like, how can... You can't fight for anything. And like... My favorite thing about the the way they staged it was that like she would reach her hand out like and tell Cosette I love her and I'll see her when I wake and she's like reaching, 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 reaching. And it's like this is a person who is like grasping at all times towards like something hopeful, which is like that to me is just like the best thing to play to continue playing the hope and the fight in spite of everything falling to shit around you. And I feel like, you know, I, I want to play her again because I I don't know if I could have articulated that at age 22, but I want to do it again because I just think like I understand and, and appreciate that so much more now because it's so easy to get mired in not just negativity, but like despair and helplessness, especially today. Like it happens to me at least once a day. So that character to me is like, beyond a superhero because she literally reaches out for her daughter at the very end of her life thinking that's it's still so beautiful I can't wait to see your like sort of Barbara Cook style concert yes. version of Fontaine yes. when you're like 75 I think that would be yes, great exactly oh my god oh my god I just had like a moment thinking about that I also love even just speaking to you now and hearing you talk about like your light bulb experience with theater and this mm -hmm. story, you seem like a very, well, first of all, an actor's actor. I find it really interesting. Like, cause I think of you as like this incredible singer, incredible musical theater actress, but it's so yes. cool to hear that you come from this like text-based actor's actor focus. Yeah. And, and that's a big part of like what I felt like I wanted to go back to. And I think it's mm -hmm. the hardest you know, I love musical theater so much, but it really doesn't always, it, it simply can't. It's meant to entertain a lot of the time. So it cannot delve into text as often as we want it to. Because sometimes I think that gets in the way. Like we've all been in rehearsals where somebody like is like, well, what does this mean? And you're like, it's to get us to the song. Do you understand how you set up a song? That's exactly what's happening. And so 
and that has been a thing for me that I love singing so much and I am aware that it is like a calling card that I have been gifted and sort of in my process of flying over sunset and figuring out like, well, what do I actually want to do? It is to at least find, even if I am doing something musical theater based, at least find some type of outlet for text and like what words mean to me, be it writing or reading or being back in a class. Because sometimes in musicals, you just don't get that chance because it's like, we just have to get the beats. We just have to get to the next song, which I get, I get it. I like, I, it's an art form in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, on that subject, you know, you were, you did and you're now shooting the second season of Girls 5 Eva, which is like TV film. So I'm curious whether you're, what that was like and whether you're interested in doing more of that but also it sounds like you're talking about like writing and reading and all these other things you do so what's on the horizon goal-wise artistically for you in the next few years yeah I am trying to figure out a place to that's my dog I'm trying to write more and figure out in what capacity like Mm -hmm. And it, it was a big thing for me to realize that I is kind of a shortcoming is that you can write for just yourself. Like not everything has to be shared because I was writing things and I was like, well, who's going to see this? Like somebody needs to read it. I can't just like write it and then just have it sitting in my computer. But I'm finding that like, well, think of all the songs you sang in voice classes that nobody ever heard. Think of all the dances you learned in, cl- in like tap one that nobody ever saw. Like... I forget that because I'm at the level now where a lot of the performing or or any type of art that I'm doing is either in pursuit of a job or is the job. But as a writer, I'm just a beginner. So like a lot of things are just going to have to happen in sort of the cocoon of my world before anybody sees it. So I'm trying to, A, write more just for myself and then figure out like, well, what type do I like to do? Like, do I like playwriting? I was in a playwriting class. I liked it. It's actually not. I found it like way easier to start writing a screenplay. I don't know why. I just, maybe it's because. Fascinating. God, writing a play is so hard. Like. It is. It's just so hard. And I love writing essays. And then I just think, well, who's going to read? Who reads essays now? But so a big goal for me is just to keep doing that and not let those questions prevent me from doing it. And then in terms of TV film, I don't know enough about how I feel about it because everything I've done has been kind of like sporadically like coming into a story for a couple days here, a couple days there. And I'm still just new that I actually leave just feeling anxious as opposed to like, that was amazing. (laughs) Which I feel like is a very honest thing that like, I don't ever leave a TV set the times that I've been on it being like, yes. I killed that. Yeah. I killed that. Like if you are one of those people, please call me and help me. And again, it's like knowing that that doesn't mean I don't want to do it. It's like, I'm at the phase where I'm still figuring out like, is this a way that I tell story just because it's not as comfortable as doing a two act musical does not mean that it is not an outlet down the road. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think a reason a lot of us get into theater is because you have that immediate yes. feedback, which is yes. addictive and maybe sometimes bad, but then you do it's TV or film and you're sort of like, okay. <laughs> anybody and we're so used to that but I think it must be 
it's it's so exciting and I think um I love how you're expanding your your various worlds I think it's really admirable and cool and I'm sure part of that like many of us was because of the pandemic I'm always hesitant to ask people about it but I do think for artists it is important and we're just still sort of scratching the surface of what that experience was like for everyone but I am curious oh is your dog okay she she got her a uh, squeaky toy. Oh, good. Yeah. It's a toy, not her voice. Not her. Oh, my God. Can you imagine okay, that? I was, was like, impressed. No. It's a little stuffed penguin, actually, that Ryan Vasquez and his girlfriend sent to Aww. us when we got engaged. That's they so were like, sweet. we saw Lennox couldn't be there, so we thought she deserved a toy. That's so sweet. <laughs> it was so sweet. It's her favorite toy now. A pandemic uh, thing, right? Lennox yes. or no Lennox before. Lennox pandemic thing. She really was. And she's like the greatest and also most annoying thing in my life. Like I love her immensely. Come on. Come here. Do the podcast. There we go. She's in the frame, friends. I wish we but- were still a visual medium, but sadly no. <laughs> a very cute dog just walked into frame. A very cute dog. She loves screens. She loves lights. It's the biggest problem we have in our house because she's yeah, like, how is that for self-tapes? It. Katie, it breaks us. It nearly breaks us every time because it's just like she cannot, she, she cannot, she refuses to sit down. But the pandemic, you know, it's like this interesting thing where I feel both sides of the coin. As an artist, I really do believe like, what do they say about sharks? It's like, if you stop moving, you'll die. But it's not about just like moving for the sake of moving. It's remaining curious. And that was something that, For example, going into Flying Over Sunset was moving for the sake of moving. Obviously, there were so many incredible people involved in that, which was the reason I wanted to do it. But I was too tired. Like I, I was not. I was not meant to do that show. My my brain could not handle it, and I was moving for the sake of moving. And the pandemic kind of reshuffled my brain, which was like productivity and movement as an artist does not have to be visible. I think it's imperative to like stay curious, but it doesn't mean that you have to be in something at all times. It doesn't mean you have to be like writing your spec script. You know, I was talking to one of our mutual friends, Francesca, about like, she was like, I don't want to write my own web series. Like, I don't care. I don't want to do that. And I really did feel that pressure during the pandemic of like, well, I have all this time. I guess I should do this now. And then I thought, well, no, if I'm not feeling called to do it, don't do it. Like, it's fine sitting and reading your book, sitting and watching good television that like you aspire to be on is remaining curious. So for me, the pandemic was, I mean, there were many phases of it that were very difficult and things that were actually quite fun. I think that's kind of how it felt for a lot of people. Like there were seasons of pandemia that were, (laughs) I would like to forget forever. And there were seasons that I thought, oh my gosh, I could do this for the rest of my life. But the biggest thing was was sort of relearning what productivity is and what it's not. And that it's also just a well-lived life is not always a productive Mm. life or what our society deems productive. I feel like I'm speaking to a kindred spirit here because (laughs) the biggest thing that I struggle with as an artist type is I'm so type A but also an artist and it's so hard to be that and do what we do. So hard. Yeah and I think the pandemic 
for better or for worse, kind of like forced those of us that have those personalities to confront that. I want to go back because we have not at all discussed Mean Girls and I do want to oh, discuss yeah. it. Tell me about the audition process. You also were telling me re-flying over Sunset and all of that and going into the pandemic that, I mean, I love how like real you get on social media and other things about that. Like you, and, and I remember seeing the show. I, I honestly can't remember a scene that you weren't in. You really carried that show <laughs> on your shoulders. And yeah. so did you experience burnout and exhaustion at all? But yeah. obviously start from the beginning and, and the magic and all of that. And then Yes. Your- yeah. The magic. Oh, the magic is the greatest. Well, the magic was that I didn't get the part at first. They did a workshop oh. of it. Yeah. I no, I love that. telling the story because same thing happened with Les Mis. Les Mis, I initially auditioned for Cosette and they were like, no, we're not even calling her back. She's wrong. And then I got called in for Pontine, which is like way more fun. So, so that was Les Mis. And then Mean Girls, I auditioned for The Lab and they were planning to use a lot of the lab cast for the Broadway production. So it was like a big, it wasn't just like, oh, it's like a 29 hour thing. We're going to recast it all. It was like, we're trying to find our people. It was down to me and one other um, actress and and she got it and I didn't. And I went over to Chelsea's house and Chelsea is like such a supportive friend who like obviously was able to say like, oh, but you got so close. That's an accomplishment, but was also like, and it also sucks. Like you don't have to be just satisfied that you got that close. Like this was going to be life changing. You didn't get it. So I didn't get it. The lab happened. I moved on. I did like a show out of town, I think, and just kind of forgot about it. And then it came back around and they were like, they're adjusting the puzzle because every cast is a puzzle and some pieces moved. Some people left. Some people had kids. Like it just changed. The puzzle changed. And they were like, and the biggest piece of the puzzle is now in play again, which is the part of Katie. And so I went back in for it. And I swear the reason I got it was because I'd already lost it once. I was like, I don't care anymore. Like not, it's the hardest thing when you are a type A artist because we care so much. But I swear when we don't care is when our best work happens because we're just like fearless. And I don't know how to do that with the show unless I've gotten rejected from it already. But that was the magic of of getting that. And I like got the call. I was in, in front of Lincoln Center, which is my favorite part of New York City ever. Again, why it was really hard to not go back to Flying North Sunset. But I got the call and I like walked around Central Park and didn't tell anybody for an hour because I just, like, I don't think we understood what Mean Girls was going to be, but I think there was the promise and the anticipation that it could become special. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you felt like from there your life just like changed overnight or do you feel like it was gradual and one day you woke up and you were like okay my life is different now it was gradual like going out of town to dc was just like being a kid at summer camp like my god it was the greatest two months of my life like to this day i will say that like it was the greatest two months because there was no pressure nobody we had just were putting on a show with like the most brilliant people i had gotten to work with in my life at that point And there wasn't the pressure of a New York audience. And we lived in like random little apartments, two blocks from the theater. Like going out of town is like, I I feel sad for adults in the world who do not get like adults who work jobs that do not get to experience (laughs) what it is to do a show out of town. Cause like, you know, we've all done them. It's magical. It doesn't matter if it's a pre-Broadway one or like something regionally. Like my favorite things out of town have been things I've done at PCLO because I just like, love working out of town sometimes it's just 
it recenters your love for theater without any of the pressure of New York City. And so it was gradual. And I do think there was like a shift when I saw, like you said, I was inside the show. So like, I didn't know what it looked like. I never saw it. I was inside of it the entire time. When they released our B-roll footage, we were like about to open in a week and they finally released our big splashy ad. And I like sat in bed and sobbed because I was like, I can't believe it. I had no idea it looked like that. And it was the first moment where I was like, my, now my life is changing. Like I can feel it because I'm seeing it. Like yeah. when you're inside it, you can't process it. You're just doing your job. But like watching that B-roll, <coughs> watching that B-roll and hearing the orchestra for the first time will forever be the most magical experiences because it came to life for me. Whereas before it was just my job and I was trying to do a good job. Those moments like took me outside of myself and let me see what was happening. And it's like the best. It's the greatest. And it seems like that cast was so special. <laughs> and talk about summer camp because you were all like, I found I my, my fiance. <laughs> I know. Let's talk about that if you're if you're willing to. I mean, oh my it's God, yeah. like, in some ways it's so unique, but it's also such a classic like Broadway story meeting your the yes. love of your life as your co-star. Yeah. Was it love at first sight? How did it happen? No! <laughs> I remember like, I can say it now because we're getting engaged, but I remember being like, oh, Kyle Seelig. Okay. Like, like I wasn't like, yeah, <laughs> I was just like, oh, all right. Like it was so not love at first sight. And again, it was similar to Minkles. It was so Was gradual. it for him though is the question. No. Oh my God. Okay. He was like, you were so weird and squirrely. And I was like, yeah, because I was – a new, I was the new leading lady of this cast that had already done the workshop. I was like, yeah. I couldn't even like talk to anybody. I was so panicked all the time. Yeah. Um, it was definitely not love at first sight for him. Definitely not for me either, which I like kind of love. You know, we have like people, the, the, the showmance is such a romantic concept, but ours came from a place of like real true peer peer and cast friendship. And I think it was just, there was like a moment, we had a month between DC and the show opening. I'm sorry, the show starting Broadway rehearsals. Yeah. So like we closed DC in November. We weren't starting rehearsals until February. And we were like, let's wait till we get back to New York City. Let's go on a date. Let's just like figure it out. And if it goes terribly or if we think it's a bad idea, we still have five weeks before we have to be back in the rehearsal room to like rein it in. in or love. Like, yeah. Bad idea. But it was a great idea and we figured it out. And uh, Jeff Richmond didn't find out for like a year and a half. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. I also think that show, I was, I mean, you and I are basically the same age and yes. I was obviously a devoted fan of the movie. When I saw the musical, you guys made lots of changes, but I thought that your Katie in particular was like a bit maybe more empowered, maybe more courageous, a bit more grounded were, yeah. Do you feel like those were choices you made, choices the creative team made, or a combination? And do you Combo. think those words are accurate? I don't know. Definitely. Definitely accurate. And I'm glad it came off that way because that was like a big discussion that we had was in the movie, there's voiceover. And we look at Lindsay Lohan's eyes and we see exactly what's happening just from a close-up shot. A Casey Nicola musical is like, every number is a production number. So you can't, 
You don't have a close-up. It's it's a wide shot the entire time. That's just what theater is. So a big thing for them was figuring out like they had to do one thing, which is we have to make her a bit more active. Like she cannot be as passive. And, and for me, that sort of like type A, really wanting to be liked by everybody, that's what it that's what it turned into. Whether it was because that's what was written or that's the energy I give off, like the Katie in the movie d does not seem to care as much about like being liked, just more about like surviving. Mm. And Katie in the musical is a bit more like, I love friends. I'm so excited to meet teenagers. That was the biggest thing that changed. And I don't think people even process it because it happens so fast is that in the movie, she doesn't want to go to America. She doesn't want to leave Africa. She's like, I hate this. So she shows up and is like, ugh, whatever. In the musical, Katie is beyond ecstatic to go to America and hang out with real people and real teenagers. And then it all comes crashing down on the first day. And like, that shift that like, no, this is like a girl who wants friendship so, so badly and is not happy with just her parents. Like therein lies the entirety of the difference of, of the musical Katie and the movie. And I do think part of it was the writers and part of it is just me, what my energy is. It was like, it was just there in front of them to use that because that's just yeah. how I carry myself. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what need to be like. <laughs> It's definitely more active choice from like an actor's perspective. They're compelling. Yeah. It's not interesting or compelling. And then worse, the, the audience doesn't feel bad because they're like, well, of course school's not going well. You didn't even try. Right, right, But right, like to right. see somebody so eagerly try and then get shot down, that's when it's like we can have sympathy for that person. Um, Did you ever feel nervous about making sort of tonal shifts like that, especially like stepping into these like – Lindsay Lohan. Yeah. I think what was helpful was that from the beginning, just even the way like Taylor did her Regina George, I was like, oh, nobody's quite, nobody's really doing this the way the movie is done simply because we can't. But I remember like getting my wig and we got our wig fitted pretty early in the process. It was like only week one of rehearsal. And I saw my wig and I was like, oh, we're, we're not doing the movie because this wig looks nothing like... And I feel like that was when, if I did have nerves about it, I was like, they have already decided that's not what this is going to be. So I don't even have to try to resist. Like the way it's going to look is different. The way we are going to sound is different. So that pressure went away. And I think a big part of that was Casey's vision of, of like how these characters appeared as, as musical people, not just like high schoolers. Yeah. I love that your turning point moment for that was the wig because I think like it, the wigs are so important. I remember the seeing wigs. it being like, she has curly hair. Yes. <laughs> yes. But it's like, she's kind of like, honestly, in the movie, Lindsay Lohan shows up and you're like, that bitch is hot. Like she <laughs> should be very popular. And like, you just don't buy it. I'm like, I do not buy that that girl is not get like, people would want right. to be friends with that person. Right. Whereas in this, it was like, we have to make this person stand out on a big stage. Like we have to make her look like she has been raised by her parents. She is like <laughs> emotionally regressed, like incredibly intelligent, but socially probably five years behind everybody in a way that like, 
when you see the little side braids that like a kid would have, it like, it made sense to me. And that's when I just thought like, all right, well, that's, that's who this person is now. I get it. But I have to ask, did Lindsay Lohan ever see it? No, she was supposed to come. And then I think it, she was in town promoting her nightclub in Greece and it got I've out that she was going to be there. <laughs> You've heard of that. And uh, she she canceled. I don't know if she canceled or if it was a rumor, but like we were told she was coming and then she ended up not coming because it had like word had gotten out. Well, that's okay. That's okay. Lindsay, okay. maybe she'll catch the national tour someday. Um, exactly. And the tour is out. Go see it. <laughs> yes. Yes. The tour is out. I have many friends involved with the tour. So that's okay. very exciting. I also want to ask, speaking of the musical elements, Mean yes. Girls has such a contemporary sound, which I think is so good for the subject matter of the show and the age that yes. everyone's supposed to be. I think of you just because I have known of you for a long time. And like, I love your, is it Broadway World or Broadway.com version of From Most Happy Fella, Somebody Somewhere? Can you do that <gasps> uh love so I think of you as this like legit soprano type did you have to did you already think of yourself as like sort of a contemporary belter or did you have to make that adjustment when you were doing Mean Girls ah that's a really like, good question I guess question. you had done Fontaine which is belter I had that's like I had never been hired to sing anything beyond that I feel like I mean, like, all I want to do is be hired to sing soprano music. I guess to go back to your very early question, it's like, what is my next goal? It's to be hired as an adult. Either an adult or a soprano. I don't care which one comes first. <laughs> but I think that, I think I discovered that I had a soprano voice in college. But because of my age, there's very few 21-year-old sopranos that are that are working I remember seeing you guys in Fiorello and just being like, oh, this is the best music ever. I want to be in this so badly <laughs> because it's like some of my favorite, favorite music. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. that was when it came to Mean Girls, the vocals of it felt like something I was used to doing. And I think they just had fun being like, oh, you're not going to get, I have the greatest voice teacher in the world who helped me through that entire show. And I think because of that, they were willing to sort of like play with the keys. Like it's written for me. And that's always what I say to people when they're like, I can't sing something. I'm like, it was written for that person. Like you can sing in whatever yeah. key you want. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, Which is something like, I feel like people forget. And that's the beauty of doing like a new show. In many ways, that role was like built on you and that will forever be the case and yeah. you sounded amazing on it I'm glad you brought up the age thing I feel like everyone <laughs> jokes about how you know 32 year olds are walking around Broadway playing 16 year olds yes. what was it like living in that teenage character for as long as you did and once you left that did you feel like okay now I'm stepping into my womanhood what did that feel like oh yeah that's actually been like a big transition that I've been going through via in in COVID and in leaving Mean Girls which is like I got so comfortable being this like young quirky spunky teenager that I've like I do feel like my perception of myself as an adult woman has been quite delayed and I, I feel it in the way of like my response to getting engaged I was like I don't do this. Adults do this. <laughs> um, even like getting tapes for things. I'm like, 
I have to remember that I'm like almost a 30 year old woman and it's really hard to do that because I spent three years playing a 16 year old and I made some of my closest friends playing a 16 year old. Like yeah. everything is wrapped up in that era where I was like existing very youthfully, which was fun. When it came to like the show, what was so interesting was like, I, there were things that Katie would do that I would say to Tina. I'd be like, that like, why would she's too smart why would she do that she was like do you remember when you were 16 like the judgment that i had of a 16 year old's actions were those of a 20 at the time 26 year old person and that was the biggest journey that i had to go on was like you do stupid stuff when you're 16 you say things that you don't mean you blurt things out without thinking those are all the mistakes she makes it's not because she's like mean or dumb or uh, cruel. It's just because she's young and like you don't have a concept really of consequences yet. And so I, what has been interesting for me is to see that the show does resonate a ton with teenagers and to want to fill the space of being like a role model, but also wanting to carve space for myself as an adult. And that's been like a weird friction that I'm feeling now more than ever, which is like, I'm so grateful to those fans who love Mean Girls. In a way, it feels like a relic of a past version of myself that I'm like trying to shed. And yet it's the it's the reason I'm getting to talk to you right now. It's the reason anybody anywhere knows if they know my name, why they know my name. And so I, I feel like weirdly torn. About. Yeah, do you feel pressure to be that role model and to like present yourself in on I mean I yeah, I keep saying social media, but of course there are other ways we present ourselves, but that's like a huge way that we present ourselves to the yeah. world now. Yeah. 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 No, it really is. And it's like I've like it was weird because something somebody it's like somebody who works in activism was like start with what you know. And what I know is that there are young people who love Mean Girls who by proxy are interested in things that I have to say, so I'm going to reach out to them. But because of that, there is a part of me that sometimes feels like, am I playing to the easiest denominator? The easiest denominator for me. Like, am I just existing off of this fan base because it's easy, because I want to, because... I do really care about it. It's like, I think young people are like the most impressionable. So I love that I have been put into contact with a lot of them. But where I feel pressure and where I feel confused right now is like, how can I still be that and and also be true to sort of this new version of myself that I'm like, <laughs> that we're all trying to become. And I, I don't know. It's like, I, I feel like it makes me want to disappear from social media a lot of the times and like come back. It, and then that also makes me sad because I think I have such a great tool with social media that I was just gifted because of Mean Girls. So who am I to, you know, eschew it for these weird individual psyche reasons? <laughs> yeah, I think it's really tough. I think it's really tough. And I, I mean, I think you walk that line well, but I don't know how. I don't know. I think I would be asking the same questions that you're asking and having the same yeah concerns because yeah everything that you said you want to connect with that audience and use it and get them to care about like important things in this like really mm -hmm. impressive way that you're doing but you also want to be able to I mean you basically you're feeling the pressure of celebrity right now which is like 
you want to live your life and not really like think about it. Yes. Yeah. And unfortunately you have to think about it, which you is have both to think a, about it. Yeah. Which is both a gift and then uh, a weird, like, I don't want to say curses. Like it, it's not bad. It, it just like makes me, it makes the way I exist something I like have feel like I have to question sometimes as opposed to just like if nobody cared what I was doing I would never question it I just be like does this make me happy or fulfilled or do I care about this and sometimes you know there have been moments where I've like taken a step back from social media and I've been like oh there's so much important stuff happening in the world that I feel like I need to like I want to harness those people again and then I just have to think like but it's also okay that's like not your job right now it, it's your job when you want it to be and it's sort of striking that balance again because I definitely felt that pressure during, I want to rephrase that. It's not that I felt that pressure. It's that I, I actively wanted that responsibility and I'm finding now that maybe my want for it is, I, w I want something a bit deeper than just using my social media to like reach teenagers. Though I think the so answer good. is you, you have this incredible self-awareness that we can see yeah. even on this episode. So as you move forward in your career, your fan base is going to grow and change and expand. Mm -hmm. You will always have that group of young people, but they're also going to grow up with you. It's not unlike Taylor Swift. Like I was listening yes. to Taylor Swift when I was 15 and now I'm 27 and she and I have a different relationship with each other than we did when I was 15. Wait, that is brilliant. That's what I, that's what I'm like. I'm like in the, what was the, the from album one to album two. It's like that phase. <laughs> You're in your sophomore album phase. And that's I'm a in my sophomore phase. album phase. I'm like, what um, am I, what is my message now? <laughs> before, before we get to my ending segment, I want to ask, yeah. I brought it up in your bio and we're sort of talking, dancing around this your activism and your philanthropy, I admire it so much. And mm -hmm. I feel like it has sort of undergirded everything you've done in theater and beyond. Why is that important to you? And it feels like it's been important to you forever. How did that, how did that come to be? I mean, I have to give like a huge shout out again to that, that mentor that I had who was two years older than me, who went to Michigan. She started something called MPOW at school. Myself and Ashley Park actually were like her sort of co-captains, but she was the initial seeker of it. And it was like bringing arts to the public schools in Detroit. And it was like taking like the joy that I felt like watching art be shared to people who did not have it was like a better drug than like any applause. And I just, and again, it's not that it's like, that's not why you, it, it, it just takes you outside of yourself. We're like so stuck in like our careers and are we, are we relevant? Are we moving along at the right pace? And then to just, have all that unnecessary worry go away because you get to be focused on somebody else. And like, you get to like divert your stress into like action that serves somebody. It's like the only reason I think that we, that we do this. And I think when we get burnt out is when, like I was just reading about this sort of COVID burnout that we're all going through and like the biggest remedy is to help people. It's like when you are feeling depleted, I think there's a lot of emphasis placed on self-care in a beautiful way now, but sometimes I'm also like, 
I truly believe helping other people can top you up in in ways that like we don't always give credit to. And I I felt that way with Mean Girls. Like I would have a really shitty week in a show that I was like not proud of. And then I'd come outside to the stage door and like meet a girl who was just like, you, I listened to this album and it's the only thing that's making me happy right now. And you're just like, great. Like it doesn't, if that's all that tonight meant, that's great. It doesn't matter that I'm pissed. It doesn't matter that I didn't sound good. Like who cares? So in terms of activism, like for me, it's just sort of a an obvious way to balance an industry that feels very self-involved. I've chosen a profession that makes me focus on me so much. And I've noticed when I start to spiral is when I have not looked outward at all. And my happiest times in Mean Girls were when doing the show was in service of something else. Like when we were doing it in service of the book drive, when we were doing it for backpack supplies at the stage door, when we were having kids come or girls groups come, when we did our talkbacks, like that was always, those eras of it just reminded me that like, that's the gift of getting to be an artist, I think. Do you think you'd, do you think you'd ever start your own nonprofit? I see that in the future for you. I do, and I'm like, I know, this is what I'm talking, it's like, I, so for Halloween, we had to go as, I didn't like go to a party. I just had like a couple of friends over and our theme was like, go as yourself in 20 years. And I was like, I'm going as a boss bitch. Like I literally went like pantsuit, collar, collar vest. And my friend was like, well, what are you the boss? What are you the boss? I was like, I don't know. But like, I think I am meant to be at a board table at some point in my life. And I really, I really am like trusting that I'm, like, I think we forget as actors that like, we have so many skills that we take for granted. The fact that you and I can have this conversation for an hour and a half, it's like our social skills, we forget that that in itself is a superpower. And I just do think that there will be a calling and I'm just gonna trust that it will make itself, it will reveal itself to me. Cause I would love to do that. Like I would love to lead something. I, I say this to Kyle all the time. The thing I miss most about Mean Girls is not working or being any, having any notoriety. It's getting to be a leader. Like I just, that's the thing I miss the most. Of that, okay. Of that now show. I see business school on the horizon for you. I know. <laughs> what am I going to do? But like what? I'll, it, it, will, it will reveal itself to me. I just, it will I reveal really itself. It will reveal itself. And I think you're already leading this, I think this like young sort of generation of Broadway people in a really beautiful, valiant way. And as I said, mm -hmm. I think your fans will grow and change with you. My last question before the ending segment, which will be super fast, do you have advice for aspiring musical theater or just theater actors? Yeah. Okay. It's, uh, it's changed because I coached a lot this year, so I, I got to watch the way teenagers work now. <laughs> And you and I did not grow up with YouTube and TikTok, but now they are. And my biggest advice would be like, you can watch those things, you cannot copy them. And I see it because I watch girls come in with the choices that they watched me make in Mean Girls or Taylor or Ashley. And I think like, yeah, those were all brilliant choices for them. For you, the brilliance is somewhere else and you have to. we have to figure out what that means for you. And that's like, you know, I have a lot of like more heady advice, a lot more like woo woo stuff. But I think my biggest piece of like practical advice 
if you want to be an artist and you are a young person, is you must, you must, you must stop trying to emulate a performance you've already seen. We've already seen it. Like, I know from experience, I was trying to be Carrie Butler and like, I'm not, I can't do what she does. work with her. But I got to work with her and that was like seeing her face to face being like, I tried to be you for so many years and now watching you, I know I could never be that. And I swear that is when like a whole world of creativity opened up because like we rob ourselves of our instincts when we try and copy somebody else. Totally, totally. And it's not just a TikTok, YouTube thing. Like I feel like listening to albums, I would like adjust my voice to mimic. And I would learn songs wrong because I was like doing whatever they did. And as we said – those songs were built around that person. So, of course, they made changes from the sheet music. But it's really exactly. bad. So exactly. don't – I totally agree. My very uh, quick Carrie Butler story is that I, too, was obsessed with her. So say hey to her for me. And she she won't remember this at all. But when I was young, I had seen her in Hairspray. I was obsessed. And then she did the Little Shop revival with Hunter Foster. <gasps> and I saw that. And I didn't, I wasn't like a stage door girl often, but for certain people I would wait. And for her, I waited at that. And I met her and I, I must've been like 10 maybe. And I was like, what do you like doing better? Hairspray or Little Shop? And she was like, honestly, hairspray. Yes! <laughs> I'll never forget that. Hairspray is the best. Hairspray is like the greatest show and Penny Pangleton is the greatest part. It's the greatest show. There's not a single skip song in the show. It's it's incredible. There really isn't. Even the Jailhouse song kind of like rocks. Oh, my God. It rocks. I love it. I'm so sad they cut in the movie. Now, like, Carrie was not nominated for a Tony for that. Like, and she she was, like, one of the people who I'm, like, very open about, like, what award season of Mean Girls meant, but, like, in what it meant most was that like I had people like Carrie sort of call and be like things these things matter as much as you accredit them to like and she called me about hairspray she was like everybody thought this was going to happen and it didn't and it's like the greatest thing that it didn't I just like she was like a guiding light for me for so long because She's gone through the business in so many ways, and I was going through all of it on one show. And she was just like, "That's such so a interesting." Beautiful. You, pre- yeah, you got like the crash course in like, yeah, leading a show, becoming famous, award season, everything, just in that, and then doing a long run just in that one show. In that one show, exactly. So it was like I learned everything on on the job, which is like the only way to learn it. But I'm happy that I had like a vet like Carrie right next door to be like, of course you feel that way. That's how I felt too when this happened. <laughs> oh my God. I'm so happy that she's like nice and wonderful. I'm obsessed with her. Her voice is just in, in Without Love when she, life's a 45 and you can't buy it. It's so good. Okay. My okay. ending segment, which is called the thank you five segment is five rapid fire questions. Like the Vogue 73, but a little shorter. The first, I'm dying to know this actually. What did you do backstage after Fontaine died? <laughs> I ate so many snacks. <laughs> oh, fun. My, what was your My s- sister would come and drop snacks off at the stage door for me. It was the best. Do your sisters still live in New York? One lives in New York. And at the time, she lived on 57th Street and the Imperial was on 46th. So she would... 
she loved she loved that time of life because we lived together for that too. And she would come from like dinner or from drinks with her friends and drop off snacks for me at the stage door. And then we would like talk a little bit with the security guard while I would like eat my snacks and then she'd go home and I'd go back to my dressing room. It's so nice that you didn't have to like join the ensemble after you died. I did have to, but not until act two. So I had like a solid 45 minutes. <laughs> incredible, incredible. What was your favorite costume that you wore in Mean Girls? The fearless costume. It was what we wore on the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. It was like the jean skirt and the white sweater. It's white, and yeah, yeah. It's cute. It's also the most akin to what I would wear. It's like sporty, but girly. Like it's not too far in either zone. You looked great in that, I remember. Do you have a favorite Mean Girls mishap? Like something that went wrong on stage or something. We've had we had a lot of mishaps. Like we had wigs fall off. We had the burn book fall into an orchestra pit. But I think my favorite it was really a mishap. But it was like a note Gray and I got. Gray Henson and I got. Casey Nicola, the director, came back to see the show, and he was like, "Erica and Gray, you guys are touching one another too much." <laughs> he was like, "You guys have become best friends." In like five seconds, you guys are like fawning over one another because right. we like that. <laughs> he is my big brother, and he was like, "No girl from Africa who's never been around a teenager before would allow, like, would touch him that way." <laughs> and it was then like sexual. Obviously, it was just like so cuddly and cozy, and that was like <laughs> we got that note in front of our cast, and we we're like, "Oh, sorry." <laughs> I love that. That's so funny. Yeah, you were imprinting <laughs> your real life friendship. Onto absolutely absolutely I mean we've we've all been there I've been there in worse ways do you have a dream role or roles I mean Mary and Mary we roll along Rosabella in Most Happy Fella and I don't know I think that's like I think that's kind of it there's like a part of me that wants to do I don't love Cabaret is not my favorite show but I would want to do that role just to show that I can. It's like, I just don't think anybody would ever cast me as that. And that's why I want to do it. Great choices. Well, yeah. Most Happy Fella is like one of my favorite shows of all time. And I think it's it needs fun. to be revived on Broadway. So we'll talk. Maybe maybe you'll be Rosabella. It would can be great. Can we do it somewhere? I, does it, it can be in like my backyard. I don't have a backyard. I'll get a backyard. <laughs> we'll get a backyard somewhere and we'll do it. What are you most excited for the people to see about Flying Over Sunset? Tom Kitt's score. It's like the most beautiful score in the world. It's so gorgeous. So I guess, I mean, they'll be seeing it, but they'll be hearing it. And then also Carmen Cusack has a song in the middle of act two oh. that Michael Corey and him wrote in like a day. And it's like a show stopping Billy Bigelow-esque soliloquy moments. So special. Wow. I can't wait to see it. I'm yeah. so intrigued. I remember reading the little like description and being like, what? <laughs> what? What's happening here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You well, will still be thinking that during the show. Erica, this was the best. I I knew it was going to be the best, but it exceeded all of my expectations. I'm so happy. Do you feel that I missed anything? No. Is there anything else you want to say or plug or anything? I don't think so. I'm just really grateful to you. Thank you for moving the schedule. And I'm really happy that we got to do this. And thank you for asking questions that I really have not been asked. So no, much. it was it was <laughs> the best. And I've, I know I've said this, but I admire you so much. I... I just think you're really smart, which I admire in actors. And <laughs> I think the way you move through the world and the industry is really smart. And also your commitment to 
philanthropy and and political action I just think is thank you amazing and role model worthy but that is why I was most excited to do this because I feel similarly about you I just like I admire very intelligent women because I just and people who I can get that sense from like just in our small interactions that we've gotten to have it's the best there's just nothing better than like women who get it and you're a woman who gets it so why don't we we should rule the world it's so crazy to me we will we will someday we will will. it's it's happening before our eyes it's just taking people a second to catch on exactly well thank you call time listeners for listening to another episode I believe next week is going to be a special episode followed by another guest episode bear with me if that changes please like subscribe all of the things, rate all of the things I say now, listen anywhere. It's the best getting to connect with other theater lovers all over the world. Thank you so much.